Thought Leadership from PwC. 54% of all of the human-induced carbon emissions have been absorbed by nature over the past 10 years. So over half of the emissions that we've um, made have been absorbed by nature. So if we are, as is the case, losing nature at an alarming rate, we're going to also be losing the ability for nature to capture that carbon. Today, we're continuing our series on biodiversity and business, Becoming Nature Positive. This is PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn, and thanks so much for joining us today. So far in a Becoming Nature Positive series, we've gone in-depth on the issues and value drivers behind the broad topics of nature and biodiversity. And we've also covered some important developments about reporting to investors and other stakeholders. But for today's episode, we're bringing some fresh perspectives and real-life experience. We asked Eva Zabay, Executive Director of Business for Nature, and Julie Morad, Climate Action Senior Manager from Salesforce, to join us for a practical conversation about what it means for a business to be nature positive and to talk about the ways that they are seeing companies take action in this space. Also back to join the conversation is Will Evison, Global Director, Climate and Nature Strategy at PwC. With that, here's my conversation with Eva, Julie, and Will. So, Will, welcome back to the podcast, and Eva, Julie, so nice to have you both on. And our audience should know about Will from his his last episode, but I think it would be helpful to let the two of you introduce yourselves. So maybe, Eva, starting with you, just a little bit about your background and how you came to this topic. Great. Thanks so much. It's it's really great to be with all of you. Uh, So I'm Eva, and I lead a global coalition called Business for Nature, which is exactly a logical next step for me after having spent 15 years at the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, where I led all of the work on measuring and valuing natural, social, and human capital. All right. And Julie? Hi, I'm Julie Morad. I've been with Salesforce for seven years. So Salesforce is a technology company, if you're not familiar with it. Um, And I've always been on the sustainability side of things. I've done climate and employee engagement and internal comms, external comms, and then pivoted to our ESG strategy and reporting team, um, which was great. And But I really wanted to get back on the climate side of things. So Salesforce formed a nature team about a year ago formally, which built off of some programs we already had around nature. So it was nice to get to apply my skill set that I had on the ESG and reporting side to this evolving topic of nature. All right. Well, I'm actually already going to jump off the prepared questions we gave because you gave me a perfect lead in there is that you mentioned going back to climate, but then actually you came to nature. And I think one of the things Will and I talked about before is this interrelationship between climate and nature. And again, for many of our listeners, they're going to be relatively newer to this topic. And so when you think about those two topics together, Julie, what are you, how do you think about it? It's a great question. I think we fall into the trap sometimes by saying we have a separate nature team to our climate team, but our climate and nature teams are integrated at Salesforce, which is great. Um, and especially for my role, I've gotten to have the experience of what does a developing climate strategy look like at a company And so now as we're thinking about the topic of nature, it's similar concepts of how do you manage this topic? How do you integrate that with different functions within your company and operationalize it? 
how do we plug into what systems already exist to do that so that these topics really are integrated. And so we say nature team, which is great because we have people dedicated to making sure that nature is integrated with our climate work, is integrated with our business operations on the whole. So they are separate topics, but very much intertwined, very much reinforce each other, both from a kind of ecosystems outside of Salesforce as a company perspective, but also internally, they support one another. Maybe I can just jump in on that. Because we've been trying collectively to get nature and biodiversity higher up the political and business agenda, we've needed to focus quite a lot of the communications and awareness raising and understanding of how to really manage uh, these interrelationships that companies have with nature and the ecosystem services more broadly. But as a result, maybe we haven't spent enough time being super clear that all of this nature agenda builds on and is in conjunction with the climate agenda. So just as we have the task force on um, climate-related financial disclosures, we now have the task force on nature-related financial disclosures, and they go hand in hand. And there are a number of these synergies across the board. Just one uh, fact that I think listeners might find helpful just come out of a recent IPCC report that shares that 54% of all of the human-induced carbon emissions have been absorbed by nature over the past 10 years. So over half of the emissions that we've um, made have been absorbed by nature. So if we are, as is the case, losing nature at an alarming rate, we're going to also be losing the ability for nature to capture that carbon. Yeah, that's a really compelling statistic because to your point, if you think about all these net zero people, we're just making it harder and harder for ourselves to get there exactly. because of the fact that we're destroying nature at the same time we're trying to save the climate. Yeah, so. and big picture, it's like there's no way we can achieve the Paris Agreement without nature as our ally and there's no way we can reach the new global biodiversity framework without a stable climate. And Will, as you're talking to companies, I know you have your own views on nature and climate, but are you finding that companies are sort of along on that agenda? Or is it relative this this point that Eva just made? Is that something people are not really focused on yet? I, it's such an interesting question because there's, there's, I almost have two opposing answers to it. Right? One is companies are saying on the one hand, oh, uh, you know, this nature thing feels very complicated. We're really trying to get on top of climate. Um, that, that feels like enough to worry about at the moment. You know, so some organizations saying that kind of thing. On the other hand, lots of them are already doing loads of stuff that, that falls under the banner of what we would talk about as nature. You know, they might be addressing pollution. They're certainly doing environmental impact assessments for new projects. They're thinking about circularity of materials and resources. So often what we're finding is it's about kind of linking the right people internally within organizations who are already taking action and about sort of taking a little bit of a step back as well and acknowledging that how, how interlinked these agendas are and therefore how synergistic delivering on them can be. 
All right. So maybe I, like I said, I kind of jumped ahead, but let me rewind for a moment. And one of the, the first things I wanted to hit on is just from your respective organizations, what you're really doing in terms of addressing this agenda. Um, and so maybe Julie, I'll go to you first. Salesforce has been on its sustainability journey for over a decade. Um, I've gotten to be there for seven years of it, as I said, which has been really exciting. I was employee number five, and now our organization's more like 20, which has been great to see it expand. And we've been investing in nature for a number of years. So set a net zero commitment, started investing in carbon credits, a majority of those being nature-based solutions, because we saw those as being some of the most valuable credits out there, right? biodiversity benefits, carbon benefits, and social benefits. So that was really exciting. Then we started investing in forest ecosystems. Then we set up an ocean sustainability program. We're doing some investments from a philanthropic side into nature as well. And all of that led us to want to put it under one umbrella to make sure all of the actions that we were taking were really complementary, were comprehensive, um, And so we formed our nature team and with it, a nature positive strategy that we just released about a month ago, which has been really exciting to get to work on, um, bring to life and build on all of those great programs that we already had. And what that strategy is made up of is three pillars. So reducing our nature impacts, second pillar, leading on restoration at scale, and then third, accelerating our customers and the broader nature positive movement. And that first pillar, I think, is where we've done some work around TNFD. We've done a nature assessment in line with the TNFD's framework, helped to evaluate, you know, what what is Salesforce actually responsible from our direct operations and value chain? For a tech company, it's not surprisingly that significant compared to potentially other sectors. But that then led us to think about the next pillars, which is where we think we can really have an outsized impact. So leading on restoration at scale, We were already investing in nature-based solutions. We were already investing in forest ecosystems. We're going to continue to build on that work because there's a real opportunity for us to provide catalytic capital to those projects that need to get off the ground and are really fundamental to achieving our climate objectives. But I think the third pillar is arguably the most exciting um, because that's where we see that, that real impact, which is Salesforce as a technology company serves more than hundreds of thousands of customers around the world from every single sector. And all of those companies or organizations are going to need to effectively manage their nature-related impacts, dependencies, risks, and technology is going to be critical to that. So that's that's our nature work in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you could probably do a whole podcast just on that. Eva, how about from your perspective? Uh, well, Business for Nature, as I said, is a is a global coalition. We were set up in 2019 with the overall aim to influence in a positive way the negotiations that were taking place at the UN for the Global Biodiversity Framework ahead of the Biodiversity COP15. Uh, So as a coalition, we have over 80 partner organizations, most of which are business organizations, both at the global as well as national level. But we also work with a small number of leading NGOs that have a track record of working with business. And we also work with close uh, companies like Salesforce is one of them. So up until now, our focus really has been in advocacy and making sure that the leading and progressive business voice is heard by policymakers, because ultimately our theory of change is that today we know that businesses around the world 
are taking action, are making commitments in different forms to help reverse nature loss. But the message is it's not enough. It's fragmented. This voluntary action is just not cutting it. So we now need to scale and speed up by driving policy ambition that in turn will drive even more business action on the ground. Right now, so now, of course, we have the global biodiversity framework. Our attention shifts from influencing to implementing the global biodiversity framework. And that also means driving, you know, the scale and speed up of business action. And as a global coalition, we provide some of that convergence and consistency in this very busy landscape and very exciting landscape um, to give confidence to businesses also in what and how they should be acting right now. So only going to chip in to add that we've mentioned the Global Biodiversity Framework on previous podcasts. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth reminding folks that, that first of all, that that's a global agreement signed up to by, by virtually every country in the world just before um, Christmas, so in, in December 2022. And the role that Business for Nature played as a as a as a sort of positive, proactive voice of business in that forum was incredibly well received, and and I, I think you know a lot of business folks showed up in Montreal. One of the reasons why that wasn't that was perceived positively was be, because of Business for Nature and the kind of positive campaign that they run, and, and, and part of that. You know, that was very instrumental in getting Target 15 of the Global Biodiversity Framework agreed. And Target 15 is the one that says, you know, large and transnational businesses and financial institutions should should measure and report on their risk, impacts and dependencies on nature. So that's the thing that signals that, you know, we will get mandatory action from policymakers. So I kudos to Eva and the organization behind it that, that you know, that, that achieved that. Couldn't agree more. And I think Salesforce has been an active participant with Business for Nature and just the clarity with which the clarity that you are bringing to the business community is so helpful because I think a lot of what we hear from other business professionals is just nature so overwhelming. There's so much to do. There's so many different, you know, I don't know where to start. And I think Business for Nature, along with a couple of other organizations, has done a really good job of going through the hundreds, if not thousands of pages of documents and other organizations working on this to distill that into a very clear list of things that business should be thinking about. And that theory of change of business action complemented with policy ambition is is so important. So let me ask a question then sort of following on all of this, because one of the things you just mentioned, Will, is obviously you know, talking about reporting, but even, you know, in terms of needing something to report, obviously transformation is a big part of that. And it's important to have a baseline. And I think we would all recognize that, but it's also then companies will want to show progress or be able to show progress. And so what are you really seeing in terms of companies that have started down this transformation journey, you know, some of the benefits that there are to gain? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you you make the point well, Heather, that, that reporting is the end point. Um, it's something that, you know, organizations should want to do kind of throughout a journey. Um, the, another, another really helpful thing that Business for Nature with partners produced was something called the ACT DE framework. So... I mean, Assess, <laughs> commit, transform, 
Disclose. Thank you. That was That's a very good assist right there. And the, and, the, and the disclose, importantly in that framework, is, you know, is, is at each of those stages, right? Now, so I think, you know, where, where a lot of organizations start. Wait, your question was about what benefits they get. Well, so you I, can answer in any direction you'd like. Well, because so. I, think, I think the key benefits, right, a, a, the big picture benefits are managing risk much more effectively and then taking advantage of the opportunities, the opportunities particularly from, you know, consumers and customers who want to work with companies that are nature positive in inverted commas. Yeah, I would say, I mean, CEOs and boards would be wise to anticipate future requirements on them to be ahead of the game and prepared. So if you think of, okay, global biodiversity framework as an example, 196 governments have agreed to this. They're going to be implementing that at a national level. Um, that will then have direct implications. But also, if you just have a look at the legal frameworks and how those are evolving, companies you know, and boards need to really be connected with what societal expectations are of them. Because what's socially unacceptable today will be illegal tomorrow at some point. And I just think building on what both Julie and Will were just saying in terms of the actions companies can take, we're now working together with many of our partners, uh, like the World Economic Forum and the WBCSD, on that next level down of sector-specific actions. Because then again, when there is consistency in, you're, in a com- you're a company in a sector, what are the top actions that you should be taking to credibly contribute to a nature-positive world? And if you're not taking them, you cannot seriously be contributing to a nature-positive world. If there is consistency across NGOs and business organizations, that will also help clarify what is expected of companies. So look out for the first series of those high-level sector actions coming out in September, New York Climate Week. All right, very exciting. And Julie, if I look to you then as you think about transformation, because obviously that's a road you've, your company has already started down, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing even in an organization where this is a supported agenda? It's a great question. You know, I think even at a progressive company, quote unquote, there are still challenges to getting things done in any company, right? <laughs> we need to make the business case. We need to demonstrate to both internal and external stakeholders why something is important. For a lot of people, this is a new topic. I think my aside to that is what's great about this as a new topic is it's so much more exciting to talk about than where I came from, ESG reporting and some of the more <laughs> boring side of things. Um, no, no shade to ESG reporting. But I think people naturally get a little bit more excited when you're talking about nature because everyone has some sort of connection. It's a lot more... Um, I think it's a lot more tangible than climate changes as well. People can see and think of an example of nature degradation around them, I think quite uh, probably easier than they can um, from a climate perspective. But in terms of organizational transformation, I think there's a lot of stakeholder engagement, but the benefit for I think a lot of companies or what I think a lot of companies will find is that because climate is already more advanced than the nature agenda is, and I said this earlier, there's so many ports to plug into that will help accelerate action. So, you know, we're working with our procurement team to think about how do we navigate nature as a consideration with our suppliers. We already have a playbook for that from climate. We already integrated 
climate into our supplier contracts. Now we can have that discussion and see where does nature fit into that picture or from a um, reporting angle. We already have a very strong ESG reporting strategy, right? What does it, how does nature fit in from a materiality perspective? These are now terms that folks are familiar with. Maybe the nature side of things is a bit newer, but they understand the basis, which makes the point of entry that much easier. Um, And then I think for us as a technology company, when we talk about technological transformation, Salesforce has already been thinking about, okay, how do we use our technology to support companies in their net zero journeys? The same can be said of nature, right? So where where can technology play a part in and help to make what seems like a really overwhelming amount of data, information, um, topics even within nature? I think the more you talk about it, the more it actually, the problem's not as complex as people sometimes think it is. Um, there is a lot to it, but I think once you break it down, there are ways that you can onboard quite quickly. There are topics that will be newer for an organization, but we have that vocabulary and we have the processes and systems in place. And I think to what Will was saying earlier, by thinking about that and even starting the dialogue now, we're really going to thank ourselves later on that we thought about including these two things together earlier and we're not just trying to play catch up later. Yeah, although your comment that um, this is not that complicated, I'm sure there's many listeners that are now wanting to talk to you to understand (laughs) understand that. (laughs) It's also a little bit different at a technology company, I will say that. But I mean, you know, I think we're also a services company. There's going to be a lot of similarities with other services organizations. There's also, you know, I'm speaking from a point of having learned from all of the great content that Business for Nature has put out there all of the great content that so many other organizations have and all of the great work that so many sectors who have had to do this from either a compliance point of view or because, you know, their end product that they're delivering to customers is dependent on a natural resource. There's a lot, a lot of learnings already out there that companies can take from. Maybe I'll just uh, build on what Julia was saying, because one of the frameworks that we haven't spoken about yet is the science-based targets for nature. And in a very helpful way, They've divided nature into freshwater, land, oceans, and biodiversity. And if you add climate to that, you've got the five fingers on my hand. I'm showing my hand. You can't (laughs) see it on the podcast um, for considering the planet and how companies both impact and depend on. So I think that also helps it uh, become a little bit more tangible. And also just referring to what Julie was saying about the reaction in the business community and beyond is it's more positive. It's actually, we can protect and restore ecosystems. There is still time if we start right now. It does take a bit of time for ecosystems to restore, but if you give them a chance, they will. And I think that's also a very positive angle to the whole discussion uh, and the action that takes place. I think that's right. It, you know, the, the opportunity to see the fruits of action mm-hmm. in a in a very reasonable time frame. We talked about that, I think, on the last pod, Heather. Heather. I, I was also going to add to what Julie was saying, you know, that this sort of the first step for any organization is understanding what are their interfaces with nature. How does how does their how do their operations interface with nature, and then how do that how does their supply chain 
interface with nature and how do their products and services interface with nature and then there's a process of of you know really thinking about material uh, materiality what what parts of that overall picture organizational and sort of value chain picture are truly material both to to them as an organization i we often talk about double materiality on this podcast but also to the environments that they impact on um and then the process is, is from that, you know, understanding of material impacts and dependencies up and down the value chain. It's thinking about, as we would with any strategy process, what, what risk does that create and what opportunities can we exploit as an organization? And then it's, it's defining a strategy to address those risks and target those opportunities. And that, that strategy hopefully includes committing and should include committing to some targets science-based targets ideally and 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 by pursuing those targets you know rigorously with a bunch of actions that help deliver on them that should mitigate help to mitigate a lot of the risk associated with this and help to open up a lot of the opportunity and then we're into you know the the programs the, the programs within each part of that value chain that enable delivery of those actions so all of this all that i'm saying is in, in essence this is like any other strategy pro- process that an organization would go through and then like any other large-scale transformation program but i think what is very different i agree with everything you've said will but what's different in this case is that an isolated corporate strategy by itself is not enough. It's the collective work across all stakeholders that will enable us to achieve a nature positive economy and world by 2030. So either we'll all achieve it or none of us will. And one thing that the UN Global Biodiversity Framework is very clear about is that it's a framework for all that It's a whole of society approach and every single actor needs to contribute. There's a greater emphasis now in the latest agreement that business and finance have a particularly important role to play. But again, it goes back to that's actually an exciting opportunity because it's not only about reducing negative impacts, but it's rapidly increasing the positive contributions that are not just for the company, but for society and the planet as a whole. So let me ask a follow-up question then. I'm going to bring a skeptic's eye to this because we've been talking about nature positivity, but in a very positive way and, you know, being able to see progress and everything else. And obviously, Eva, huge amount of success in Montreal in the fall, but I'm sure along the way and continuing beyond that, you're, you're also talking to skeptics and talking to either governments or businesses or others who are saying back to the point that was made earlier, oh, we've got other problems, we've got to deal with climate or this is just made up science or, you know, there's all these different arguments, right, for people who are saying, no, we don't want to take action now. And I, I do personally agree it's a lot easier to see a direct impact of something with nature versus what's going on with greenhouse gases. But what do you say when you're speaking to skeptics or, or maybe there's less than there used to be or just curious what response you have to that? There are less skeptics, more other priorities will take precedent. 
I would say. So I think it is quite challenging to deny some of the science mm-hmm. around the state of our planet, but it's easier to defend the fact that nature will take a, a lower seat on the priority list. For governments, in fact, using the concept of the value of nature or natural capital mm-hmm. can be helpful because governments can then realize that their economy depends on this underlying asset that they haven't really been accounting for. And so if you can demonstrate to them that the economy is based on that and they are eroding it and start showing some of the signals of this is where it might then break the system, you can see with supply chain issues and then that, you know, blocking some key commodities because of disruptions, because of either droughts or floods or that those are real impacts uh, on operations which do affect the economy. Um, I think that is a helpful way maybe to break it down for governments in particular. And for businesses, well, I would say if you're keeping nature low down your agenda, well, good luck because you're really going to be exposed to future regulation risk and your own business operations across your whole value chain changing societal demands, consumer demands. Feel free to leave it down your agenda, but others in your same, your competitors uh, are putting it higher up and becoming more resilient in the future. So we fully understand we don't have a perfect answer because what we're living through right now is uncertain, Mm -hmm. which makes everyone very uncomfortable. And it's easier to be, you know, to, to go back to where you feel certain with current regulation, a current situation, a current business model. And that's where we see it's a different kind of leadership that is needed and a different kind of mindset that's needed today and in the future. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on. And, and I find my conversations often, it's, it's not us saying, this is what a nature positive strategy looks like for your organization. It's us asking and, and, and kind of, you know, figuring out together what does a nature positive strategy look like for an organization like yours because we don't go into this with all the answers but we we better get to some answers pretty quickly i i think you know the salesforce example is really interesting right it's it's what a nature positive strategy what adds up to a nature positive strategy for a global technology business and we you know we took a very similar approach i think you know to, to thinking about it from from our point of view yes it's it's our operations and we've done some looking at that yes it's our supply chain and, we, and we've done some looking at that but actually it's about the, the how we advise our clients and how we make sure that we're giving the best advice to our clients and that's what i mean that's this is why we we set up our center for nature positive business and we we launched that since the last uh, mm-hmm. podcast but you helpfully mentioned it <laughs> yes. at the start it was right after our recording right but that's you know our, our effort essentially to help a, a lot of organizations through this what will be a really challenging transition that needs to happen and and in some ways a complex transition but one that we've really got to get on with and and it's as as eva says you know good luck to the folks who who don't i think it'll be a really challenging a really really challenging time for those who who don't start to look at it very hard pretty quickly 
It's interesting, before we started our conversation for our listeners' benefits, we were all talking about trains versus planes and, and how you you know justify that. And um, when Eva was talking about price signaling, I was actually reminded of an article I read this weekend that was talking, and I'm not going to guarantee this statistic is correct, but I was talking about water usage in the Western United States and that it takes 3.2 gallons of water to grow an almond. And I love almonds. It's one of my favorite foods. But thinking about 3.2 gallons of water per almond, which I, I need to investigate, see if it's true. But I think that idea of natural capital and price signaling, and as governments and otherwise deal with some of these issues, then I think, Will, back to your point, if you're a business that maybe is pulling a lot of natural capital, then if you haven't anticipated that maybe they're going to reallocate water rights or whatever is going to need to be done or charge a market price for water. And again, in that example, you are going to be behind. And I think, I guess that's some of the work, Eva, that governments need to do, but then businesses need to respond. Yeah. And businesses also need to be part of those conversations. One of the key uh, targets uh, that are particularly important for business to be aware aware of in the global biodiversity framework is called Target 18. And it's on eliminating or redirecting environmentally harmful subsidies. Last year with the B team, we did a whole campaign about the fact that $1.8 trillion each year flows into subsidies that unintentionally are environmentally harmful. So we can do whatever we want as much as we can to take action as long as we continue to fuel and to fund activities that are nature negative, we're really setting ourselves up to fail. So the fact that the price of a, an almond does not reflect all of the nature and also the societal impacts are included means that we are basically faced with a market failure and that the economy doesn't fully reflect the value that people would be willing or that people actually believe is the, is the real, the price doesn't reflect the full value. Yes. So ultimately we need to get to an economy where the cheapest product is also the most sustainable because the most expensive product will have internalized all of these negative externalities and it will cost way more. So we completely, we need to shift this uh, transition. Weirdly, the way to do that is also then bit by bit to at least show the signals that people want where their preferences are in the current economy. But there are signs that we're starting to get there with certification schemes and different models, companies are recognizing that there is a willingness to um, really, yeah, to, to pay the price for a more sustainable offer. Well, and I think, Julia, that actually goes back to you because you mentioned, and I made a note of this earlier, the fact that you actually have been working with your um, procurement and looking at your own supply chains. And I feel like you're, you've said it a few times, well, we're just a tech company, but I, I don't think you should understate that any large organization has a lot, you know, has an impact and there's a lot you can do. And so just curious, well, a couple questions on the value chain or supply chain, but what type of reaction have you guys seen in making some of these changes? Internally or externally? Well, both. <laughs> um, I think it's been very well received, which has been very exciting. Our nature positive strategy, that is. Um, I think people, 
just commenting also on what Will and Eva were just saying, that mindset change is so important. And I think in building our strategy, one of the best things we did was really not to toot our own horn, but like (laughs) one of the things that was most interesting was ensuring that we had a lot of stakeholder input into our strategy, both internal and external, because that's where we got new ideas that our nature team wasn't necessarily thinking about. And people saw different opportunities from each of their respective places in the organization that now as we've published it externally, I'll get messages, people slack me and say, hey, what if, what if we do this? Or I was thinking we could include this language here. And it's like, yes, absolutely, please <laughs> do, that, do that immediately. Um, and I think that's great because a team, a small team internally is not going to be able to affect the systems-wide change that we need, even if Salesforce was the best, quote unquote, nature company out there. That's not enough, right? And I think we recognize that. And so I think that's where standards come in to say, this is the bare minimum that all companies need to be doing. I think as Evo was saying, stakeholder perceptions and customer perceptions of what companies should be doing is going to absolutely drive action far faster potentially than, uh, well, I think regulation is, is coming in at a very good time. Um, but those customer demands are also going to change things. I think the other piece of it that's really important is as we are all needing to think about how to deal with regulation and deal with disclosure requirements, we are going to have to figure out a system of transparency to leverage all this data that's at our fingertips. Because I think when you bring up supply chain, that's where, you know, Salesforce is leasing our facilities but you know what? Maybe PwC is also leasing mm-hmm. facilities in that from that same company. There's so many overlaps with other companies. Same is true of climate also. So if we can really think about how do we do business in a different way that takes advantage of those overlaps to actually drive towards the same shared obje- objectives that we've put out there, that's going to be really exciting. Um, and so in terms of external perception of our strategy as well, I think We've gotten some great feedback. We've heard from some companies that it spurred them to publish their own strategies a little bit faster, which is great. We've gotten some really good constructive feedback from folks. And I think to what Will was saying is they think about how to help clients, you know, these strategies, what what is a nature positive strategy now in 2023? That's going to look very different than what a nature positive strategy is in five years, Mm -hmm. right? We've said in publishing this, it's going to have to evolve because the standards are evolving, the people's way of thinking about this as a topic and as a business issue is changing. Um, And so building in that flexibility is going to be so important, but having a base to start from cannot be underestimated. It was just going to say here, here. I mean, it's it's like taking that, you know, first step or very large step, you know, reflecting on a lot of the things you've already done, but then like we need to sort of encourage, I think organizations to have the comfort that a, you know that a first step is better than no step and and we'll position them better well and i think to that point it's interesting thinking about again the value chain and where data is coming from and you made such a good point about data but also the ability of 
suppliers in developing or emerging markets to be able to report. And it's interesting, I met last week and actually did a podcast with Marty McBrien from the IFRS Foundation and then Jingdong Wow from the ISSB um, board. And they were talking about their capacity building efforts and really trying to put in place, you know, so that there will be infrastructure for those different companies in those economies to report. And so maybe Eva, starting with you, but definitely Julie, also interested in your view of the importance of those types of capacity building efforts as we, as you made such a good point, uh, Eva, that this is for everyone. You know, you can't have companies sitting on the sidelines. Capacity building is going to be super important. It will rely also on clarity on the landscape and where we are right now is is very unique and quite interesting because the voluntary frameworks are nearly developed so for reporting talk, thinking about the TNFD that will be fin- finalized in September we have ISSB right now opening up their consultation mm-hmm. for what not, what next and will nature and biodiversity be next in terms of the standards they'll develop. We have the EU reporting standards that are already basically in place yes. and companies are getting ready. The ones that will need to have been getting ready for a while to then comply with them. We have GRI, you know, so I think what is, and GRI does a lot of capacity building mm-hmm. too. And maybe the message for listenings is actually, even though this, when you're new to it, and even when you have been in this space for a while, it can be confusing. In fact, these frameworks and the teams that work developing these frameworks and standards all talk with each other a lot and are trying as much as possible to align and to ensure that each of these frameworks and standards are as interoperable as possible while making sure that markets have then all the information they need and the regulators have the information they need to standardize as much as possible. So capacity building, yes. And there's a the capacity building of whom? Yes. <laughs> and maybe one of the biggest audiences that ISSB can reach is going to be the market regulators themselves. Yes, interoperability, the key point you made there, I think all of our listeners would be supportive of. And I'm guessing, Julie, coming from Salesforce, that that's a key for you. But just curious more broadly what you're seeing from this reporting perspective as you're trying to get information. Yeah, I think capacity building is incredibly important. Um, If I think about Salesforce's role in that, you know, as I said, technology company, different footprint. But if we have the capacity as a company to start engaging with some of our suppliers to then help them think through and navigate some of these complexities, we've done that with science-based targets and having our suppliers set their own science-based targets and then meeting them and doing capacity building around that. I think there's something similar that we can think about in terms of nature as well, and hopefully leaning on standards that are harmonized um, will be very helpful. But that is a unique role that we we as a company can play. And I think to Will's point earlier, it's what is each organization's unique capabilities to bringing to this this moment in time and this challenge? And I think Salesforce, similarly, as a technology company, that comes back to what what can we develop from a technology point of view to make sure that we are 
leveraging what we are really good at as an organization, which is building technical tools that are then used by enterprise level organizations. How do we how do we leverage that superpower of ours? Um, so that's something we're thinking about as well. Can I just add one thing on this? Because while we have these different reporting frameworks and standards, and as they get integrated at a national level, we're also going to have to make sure that we're not just going for lowest common denominator mm-hmm. that's not actually going to change anything compared to what we have today. We need to be giving the right information at the right level of ambition. And even if that means some will be ready for it and other companies will need a bit of a phase in time to get there, I do firmly believe that if we agree a common set of standards that is with an ambition that is too low, then the main point is not the disclosure. Disclosure is a means to an end, which is the action. And we have to keep our, keep our eye on that goal. Yeah, I think that goes back to transformation that Will was talking about earlier. And definitely, you know, I think sometimes it's easier for companies to embrace this if they are not creating nature negative actions. (laughs) Let's just use that term. And so it is giving room for those companies to catch up, but to, to your point, even not making it so that it's, it's too easy either and recognizing that it could take time. So we could continue this conversation probably for a day, but I do want to kind of start to bring things together. And probably the question I would have for all of you, but I will also ask for final thoughts. So don't worry. Uh, But before we get to final thoughts would be if you are talking to companies, because that's our main audience, although we know standard setters and others are listening as well, and they are starting their nature journey, what advice would you give them? And so, Will, I'll start with you first. Hopefully, it'll be music to the ears of your listeners. It's all about materiality. Start with the most material. Well, our listeners do love materiality, so thank you for that. Maybe double materiality we should talk about. And I I, maybe just a tiny add to that very brief thought is there are now tools out there to really help with that materiality assessment. So tools, particularly Eva mentioned from science-based targets for nature, so they have a they have a sort of basic sectoral materiality tool. They also then have a list of the, the, the sort of most material um, commodities. And there are various other things, um, you know, out there. I'm sure Eva, well, Eva already mentioned the, the sort of business action lists, which are really looking at identifying what are the top actions for each sector. And, and those kinds of resources, I hope, will be just extremely helpful starting points for, for listeners. All right. Very helpful. Eva? I don't think I have much to add. I was thinking, as we said before, companies that are new assess, which is all about the materiality, mm-hmm. commit, transform, disclose. But most importantly, it's also don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, build on all the existing available information. There's a whole community of people who have been waiting for this moment to help you for decades. And so you will get the support you need also across peers, but also from experts. All right. That's a very encouraging word. And then Julie, since you are on the journey, what can you share? I'm going to share two things. I think to Eva's point, ask questions of everyone because people will have so many answers for you. And that 
information, if it's not something you can do something with right away, will at some point something be something that you can plug into your journey. Um, and then I think at the, I totally agree with what Will said at the bare minimum, look at the guidance and scratch, you know, jot down the quick thoughts of how your organization is aligning to that, what actions you can take. I think just by starting to put pen to paper and again, chunking things out, it becomes a lot less overwhelming, or at least you can compartmentalize what are going to be the most challenging Mm -hmm. components of this for your organization. And that's going to vary for each organization, depending on sector, depending on how your organization is structured. But but doing that will be a really helpful exercise. Well, probably most challenging and most impactful. So Absolutely. those two. Can I add a, another, another one thing? One, <laughs> now this is your third thing, but that's okay. But I think the other thing is where organizations are already on the journey for, for climate, adding to that existing journey can feel a lot easier than than starting out on a whole new journey and and just thinking you know in terms you know lots of organizations right now are preparing transition plans one type or another building nature into Mm. transition plans you know into climate transition plans is a great jumping off point and it will often you know be relatively straightforward to do that and then it's a like like I say, and then it's a sort of starting point for those those elements of a of a nature transition plan, which don't you know don't fully sit within a climate trend. All right, well, that is definitely an excellent point to add. So I'm glad that you chimed in with that. Now, I always like to ask, especially because we jumped around a bit and covered so many different topics, if just any final thoughts, either just words of encouragement or if there's something we skipped that I, you wish I had asked you about. Um, and yes, so Eva, you want to go first? Yes, thank you. I just thought it's always helpful to maybe take a bit of a step back and think about the transformation that we're actually going through and how, as humanity, we have been through a number of transformations like abolition of slavery. Uh, And think about a quote from Nelson Mandela, which is, everything seems, it always seems impossible until it's done. And essentially what we're talking about now is shifting systems, the economic system, the financial system that are man-made we made them so we can change them, mm. but we cannot change the natural systems that we all depend on. All right. I think that might be a tough final thought to follow. So uh, that was an excellent. Tricky to follow. Yes. Nelson Mandela <laughs> and Eva's <laughs> Exactly. So that was such a perfect note to end on. I'm so glad I asked that question. But all three of you, such a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank, Thank you. you. It's been great. That's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. 
Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.